Hi, I'm Alicia Michalisic Gonzalez, an emergency physician and the clinical training lead for the California Bridge Program. And this is episode five of our Emerging Trends training series. Just start it, as in buprenorphine self-starts. So today we're joined by one of our clinical experts, Dr. Rebecca Tresky, and one of our awesome substance use navigator mentors, LaToya Mitchell, for a conversation in an FAQ on how patients can self-start on buprenorphine if they're ready for treatment, but not get an opioid withdrawal when they're right in front of you. This audio was recorded during a live virtual training session in April of 2022. And please note, as always, that brand names used by our guests are just out of habit and neither they nor I have any financial disclosures today. Let's start by having them introduce themselves. We'll start with LaToya. Hi, I'm LaToya. I am a mentor to probably many of you and the SUN program coordinator. I'm Rebecca Trotsky, family medicine doctor in Los Angeles. I work in the ER department and I run the addiction medicine service. Um, my main clinical anchoring is a lot of primary care and transitions of care from hospitals and ERs. Um, so I very much see everything from all these angles. And what you really need to know is that both Latoya in her role as a navigator and Rebecca in her job as a doctor are literally two of the most expert people I know when it comes to doing self-start buprenorphine. So ladies, first thing how do I know when this is the right approach? Like, when do I know this is the patient that we should be talking about sending them with a prescription to start buprenorphine on their own? Anybody who has come in with opioid use disorder, opioid overdose with like recurring pattern of intentional opioid use, um, pretty much anytime you just have the diagnosis, the solution is buprenorphine. So we know that scientifically. So key in on, um, as a clinician, as a doctor, we often are writing, you know, cellulitis from injection drug use. When you start saying cellulitis from opioid use disorder severe, then we start recognizing what we can do upstream to solve those problems. So I'm definitely, all the time you see any opioids, we have a great solution. We know what it is. Just do it. And Latoya, how do you decide when a person is, like, what are other things that you consider to decide if this is the person you should talk to about a self-start? Um, anybody who's interested, to be honest. So maybe they came in um, post-overdose. Um, maybe they were there for, you know, something like an abscess a couple days before and they just weren't ready and they came back. Um, they're calling on the phone. Whatever it is, if they're interested, then, you know, they might be a good candidate for a self-start. So basically somebody... Not in withdrawal yet, but who has opioid use disorder. The end. There is no longer list. It's for everybody. Have a low threshold. That's what I'm hearing you say is. This is applicable to a bunch of our patients. So, okay, we've identified the right patient, which is anybody with opioid use disorder. Perfect. Um, So now it's time for us to talk to the patient about it, right? We have to open that conversation. Walk me through what that looks like. How do you start that conversation? What do you say? And what are the important parts of that? Yeah, I think anchoring um, the treatment plan with the normal occurrence that we do every time as a doctor. So when you have cellulitis, I'm not like, are you ready to start antibiotics? I'm like, (laughs) you have cellulitis, the treatment is antibiotics. You have an infection, here we have a treatment. Same thing with this. People might not acknowledge that they have opioid use disorder. So you can say, I've noticed that you have, you know, problematic use of opioids or you're coming in here with sometimes opioid withdrawal. I want to give you the tool. I'm prescribing buprenorphine. So you're not necessarily even 
you know, I think when I was trained on this, I was a lot about like assessing readiness. This is not like HIV medications where we want to make sure somebody is continuously on it and never stopping. This is something that we want to make sure everybody has access to and everybody can start or restart at any moment they choose to. So just normalize it. So we say, hey, you have this thing, uh, you know, you have your infection. We think it's related to injecting opioids. I'm going to give you buprenorphine. Which pharmacy do you want me to send it to? And the other thing I ask is then, when do you expect to be in withdrawal? And if they're not sure what withdrawal is, then I ask them, you know, hey, you know, when was the last time you used opioids? Okay, 10 o'clock in the morning. When do you expect to feel sick again? Then they'll be able to tell me, okay, two in the afternoon. That's called opioid withdrawal. So I reframe it so that they have that language and that mental model. And then I'm like, when you feel that again, you can try this medication, buprenorphine. And so um, really it's just, normalizing, making this totally comfortable that I'm confident in talking to you about it. Just like, hey, we're starting metformin and insulin for your diabetes. This is what we're doing, you know, for your opioid use disorder, we're starting buprenorphine. And then just asking like the timing questions and the logistics questions um, so that it's the most useful for somebody. Yeah, we talk a lot at California Bridge about how, you know, addiction or substance use is a chronic medical disease, a treatable chronic disease. And so what I hear you saying, Rebecca, is, then treat it like a medical disease. You know, give it a medicine, have a very low threshold. We don't make patients earn insulin. We don't make them earn antibiotics. We treat the disease that we see. So when we're seeing a patient who has opioid use disorder, the answer should be buprenorphine and it's that plain and simple. Is that, am I interpreting that correctly? Awesome. 100%. And so sometimes I'm like, have you heard of this medication before? Sometimes it's called Suboxone, buprenorphine, anything like that. Have you tried it before? Um, and a lot of people have tried it before. Latoya, how often has somebody that you've started in your setting like heard of buprenorphine before or, or tried it before? Oh, honestly, probably a good 80 to 90% of the time they've wow. tried buprenorphine before, <laughs> either from a friend, off the streets. Sometimes even their dealer gives them buprenorphine. That's so interesting. Yeah. So I, I love it. And I agree with everything that you're saying, Rebecca, for sure. Um, education is the, is a really key part of it. So as a navigator, um, I sit and talk with them a lot more in depth. Um, I talk with the patient to get a really good understanding of their use patterns. So just like you said, when was the last time you used? How much do you use? What is the route of use? Because you know, using fentanyl IV probably means that they're going to have to wait longer until they go into withdrawals or until they're sick enough. Um, and they're definitely going to need a higher dose. So, you know, starting someone on eight milligrams is probably not going to be enough for this person. They're going to need to start off on 16. Um, but I also make sure to go over everything really in depth. Honestly, probably my average patient encounter is a good um, 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes longer, depending on how many questions they ask, but really digging deep into the use pattern. If they've ever tried it before, what was it like when they tried it before? Because they might not have done it correctly and they might've, you know, felt more sick. Um, so I walk them through all of those, um, parts so that they feel really comfortable and, um, more empowered to do this self-start on their own. Um, in addition to reviewing the self-start guide, um, and make sure that we just like basically troubleshoot any question that they have before they're sent on their way. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like really, really importantly is giving the patient a beat 
to talk about it, right? We have to acknowledge that most of our patients will have had an experience with buprenorphine, whether it was we prescribed it, they got it from a friend, they got it from who knows where, but they probably have an experience with it. So we need to make sure that the that their interpretation of what we're trying to do isn't the same as perhaps their previous experience with it. And we want to make sure that if they are a person, for example, who uses high doses of fentanyl, that they're aware that they're going to have to go higher doses and not be afraid of that to undertreat themselves. So this is actually a great question that was asked um, in the chat that is right on point with this is, how do you address the concerns from patients who have said, I've had a terrible experience with buprenorphine in the past, and they're like not comfortable, um, and they don't want they don't want to do it because they had a bad experience. How does that conversation go? Rebecca, I think I've heard you answer this question yeah. amazingly before, if so you wouldn't mind. After setting just the like very normal tone, like you have this, I'm giving you this, and then asking some reflective questions. Have you heard about that before? Any friends on Suboxone, that kind of thing. Uh, again, my experience is a lot of people know about it already. And if they don't, that's a great opportunity to educate and, and do exactly what Latoya was saying. But a lot of people do come in with mixed readiness and mixed experiences. So, um, you know, yeah, my friend takes it. How'd that go for them, right? Like, so you ask about that, you elucidate and you try to elicit like some positive experiences they've had with it. I would say maybe a third of the time, somebody's like, oh, I tried that once and it was awful, right? Like something bad happened. Like I tried it, blah, horrible, right? And so when that happens, that's not the end of the road. That's great. Okay, I'm so excited that you've heard about this. A lot of times people try it and they're not sure the dose or they got a too low dose or they took it too soon. So what's wonderful here is you're talking to one of our experts and we can set you off on the right dose and the right timing. And so you kind of reframe it to say, you know, honestly, a lot of people say that they get buprenorphine from a friend. I have no idea if that was really buprenorphine. I don't know how high that dose was. I, I don't know anything about that. So I'm like, I'm so excited that you were willing to try it before. Let's try it again with the correct dose at the right time. And then we give opportunities for education and timing around that. Awesome. And yeah, there's a, a comment in the chat to reinforce, I think, what both of you keep saying, which is we do have to do that coaching for the patient and let them know how do you appropriately take buprenorphine because it's very possible that their first experience with it didn't have that education component. And so maybe it was under treating their withdrawal or not waiting until they were in withdrawal or for, far enough into withdrawal. And so a, a big piece of that is reframing, readjusting, saying actually today, I'm going to do this in an appropriate way. Let me coach you what that is. Your bad experience before may have been because you didn't have the right dose, the right information, and the right tools, um, which include our how do you do a self-start guide. We put the link in our chat for you. It's a, a new one that we have updated today. Brand new, pretty shiny, new, ready. So please take a look at that and feel free to use that when you're talking to your patients too. So another question um, that came up that I would love for us to address because it's still on topic is, okay, so sometimes the patients are concerned about it. What about my doctors? Like, I've got a lot of prescribers at my site, this is mentioned a couple times, where they're like, ah, eh, shrug, Narcan and go. You know, you have an abscess, whatever, Narcan and go. Or they're, they're big on the Narcan part, but for whatever reason, they hesitate to write that buprenorphine prescription. How do you address that conversation with a prescriber or with your team? That is a tricky one. Um, it depends on your role. So one is we found that um, kind of elbow to elbow um, 
support is one of the most useful things. So if I'm in a clinic and I'm prescribing buprenorphine and I'm sitting next to my reluctant prescribers mm -hmm. and they see me coaching, having really great experiences with prescribing buprenorphine, and then they have a patient walk in, I'm like, great, let's do it with you, you know, and then you can walk them through that. And also just recognizing doctors are, you know, make mistakes. We're full of stigma and bias, just like everybody else. And that's what's going on. It's not that it's the wrong answer. It's that doctors have a lot of internalized bias and um, misconceptions around it. And one of the best things that I have seen is getting coaching from people like us um, to come in and like they have a staff meeting with all the doctors and we're like, hey, let me tell you, you know, how I overcame my fears and misconceptions around buprenorphine. It will help you through your journey. And, you know, I give them my cell number, honestly. I'm like, if you ever have a case where you're like, should I do this? Should I do it? I'm scared. Text me. I'll walk you through it. You can put my name in your chart to share that like <laughs> risk management piece if you want. And like that literally helps a lot of people just feel that comfortable. And every now and then I get a call. It's like three in the morning. Hey, I think it's you. It's my first time. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. You did it. <laughs> You know, and and that's you know some of the support that California Bridge can provide your your team and your culture. Yeah, we save lives at three a.m. too, right? So it doesn't matter what time it is if the patient's ready, be ready. So go, I, for go me, um, I I typically if I have a provider that is not comfortable or maybe doesn't even have their X waiver to write a prescription, um, I try to talk with them if they're not X waivered to get them on board next time around to get their X waiver. But also I say, is it okay if I go ask so-and-so who is X waivered for that prescription? Um, and a lot of times they're okay with that. Um, so I'll just find another provider that has their X waiver and is willing and able to write a prescription. Um, so I don't let one no kind of stop me. <laughs> um, the other thing is that if they say, you know, things like they have hesitation because they're like, well, I don't want to give them a prescription because, you know, they're not going to use it right or they're going to divert it. What if they go sell it? Things like that. Um, and so that's a whole separate conversation on diverting buprenorphine. Um, should I talk about that now? Yeah, Alicia? let's do it. Like, tell me. So I'm worried the patients might divert my prescription. Latoya, I don't want to send them home with, you know, 40 sublingual tablets. This is ridiculous. All they're going to do is give it to their friends. Like, what do you tell that doctor? People say that a lot. So in, in the most respectful way that I can, I basically say, so what? If, if they're sharing it, <laughs> I know it sounds bad, but uh, if they're sharing it, if they're, you know, selling it, whatever they're doing, all they're doing is saving someone else's life. This is a, a medication, you know, when you're dealing with full agonists, it's a medication that is much safer versus fentanyl and, and heroin. Um, so I would rather them divert that and share it with their you know, friends and family and whoever on the street then share fentanyl because then we're going to see them coming in through the ED for an overdose. Um, so much safer. And honestly, if we flooded the streets with buprenorphine, I think it would actually save our communities a lot more than flooding them with fentanyl. Yeah. I think I, um, I've heard from a lot of people you know, that they tried it from a friend. Rebecca, do your, does that ever help you in your practice? Like, is that a thing that yeah, is good? Most people coming in have tried it once or twice from their friends and that encourages them to um, continue with me. I want to yes and everything Latoya says. So <laughs> the end is 
people share effective treatments across the board, right? Like how many times have I had somebody come in being like, oh, I, it hurts when I pee, but my girlfriend gave me some of her yes. penicillin that she got from when she had, uh, you know, a dental infection. <laughs> so, you know, like that kind of story, right? Like we hear that all the time as doctors, that people are taking things from, oh, my my husband has the diabetes, so I've just been using his metformin, right? Like this happens all the time when we have a safe and effective treatment and our community knows it. They are lovingly trying to share that with their friends and family. Now, is that the right legal thing for a physician? No, it isn't. But it does open the window to say, I'm so excited that you're ready for treatment and you want to come in. Let me help you get the treatment you need, your dose, your time, so that I can make sure that you're safe. If your friends and family want that, I'm also here for them. How exciting. Like, bring them in. And I get so many referrals that way. Like, oh, my boyfriend came in last week and he said I should come in. Okay. You know, and, and honestly, that would be a person that would have never started treatment. So I, I, I reframe with the clinicians, like all of the time our medications are shared with friends and family. We call that diversion and we have a lot of stigma around that when it, it is associated with these stigmatized healthcare conditions like substance use disorder. And we don't have that same level of stigma when somebody comes in to tell you, oh, I shared my penicillin with my kid who had a cold to treat their, quote, pneumonia, right? Happens all the time. And we just do our medical job. So that happens in this context, too. We should just do our medical job. Um, yeah. And that is a huge mental model shift for people. I love it, though. Again, the, we keep talking about education, normalizing, contextualizing, a really important piece to this because there's so much fear. And really, it turns out it's so safe. And it's like great for your community to put people in our out there. So we actually have a, a doctor over at Duke, uh, Dr. Jason Tetro, who asked, OK, look, I'm going to do this. How do I do this? What do I write? What has to be on this paper? What are the rules? How do I get this prescription in my patient's hands? What do I do? Yeah, that's... Um a few different things. One is upstream, you want to have your beautiful Latoyas go and make friends with your pharmacist in the community. And you want to know what pharmacies are going to treat your patients well. Be open random hours, 24-7, Saturday night, 3 a.m. That's really useful. And it's useful to build relationships with those pharmacists. And I also recognize that most of us haven't done that at three in the morning when we're cross-covering whatever's, you know, that's that happens all the time. So you need to make your paper or electronic prescription as um, awesome as possible. The way I do that is I literally write my XDEA number on there in the pharmacy comments. I write, in California, this is a carve-out medication for our Medi-Cal public health care system. I'm not sure if that's across the board in your state. So you want to check it out. But a lot of my patients either are uninsured or publicly insured. And the fact that it's a carve-out medication means my pharmacies need to know that in order to bill. You would think that they would know that. But if they don't know that explicitly, what they do is bill the health plan like they normally do for all the other medicines. And it comes up with, oh, not covered, right? And so the pharmacy misinterprets that and then is like, patient, sorry, can't fill, not covered. When and actually, it's super well covered. It's a carve-out thing. So I put in my in my script, XDEA, this is a carve-out medication, bill fee for service Medi-Cal. And then I also put my direct line. And this is the only script that I put my direct line, my cell phone, um, for the pharmacy. Because I want to make sure that when my patient comes in with that medication prescription, or you know, nowadays it's electronically prescribed, that the pharmacist, if they have any questions whatsoever, they call my cell phone and it's not misrouted to like, you know, the secretary who gives you the message like three weeks later. Yeah. Um, and that really does help. Um, and I also tell my patients that if they have any, any like friction at the pharmacy level to call me or to call my navigator, or if anything else, just tell the pharmacy to call me. Like, 
the most challenging situations is when you have a patient in withdrawal who already has a very low threshold for like uh, anxiety and, you know, um, cue reading. So then they get into it with your pharmacist at the window and the pharmacist is like, ah, I'm going to kick you out. I'm calling security. I'm never going to see you again. And that's a barrier. So um, X waiver, your X waiver DEA number, put that diagnosis code um, because a lot of your insurances will cover buprenorphine for specific diagnosis code differently for than used for chronic pain. So the diagnosis code I put in there is F11.20. And then for California um, and probably some other states, you want to specify to the pharmacist bill fee-for-service Medi-Cal. So um, those are the three things I do plus my cell phone number. And once I started doing that, it reduced the pharmacy calls significantly. So yeah, to be Build a relationship with pharmacy in the community is number one. So they know you, who you are, who your patients are, what you're doing, why it's important. And then number two is try to message that in your electronic prescription as well as possible. Number three is educate your patient at that personal level to um, be able to self-advocate in a responsible and respectful and professional way. So, hey, I'm really angry and upset that I'm not getting my buprenorphine and I'm in a ton of withdrawal and this sucks and everything's horrible. Okay. My doctor told me to just tell the pharmacist to call her and the number's on the script. Okay. That's, that's what you want to have happen. Yeah, a really good safety net, right? And for those of you who work in an emergency department setting, um, you know, we try to do a good job of educating all of our doctors to know those answers. And so you can put straight the line to the ED, not to the operator at your hospital where they got to go through a 10 person phone tree. But how do they call the ED and talk to whoever, whichever doctor is there um, in that moment to help clarify those issues? So um, there was an interesting question that came up about the prescribing where they're saying, look, sometimes I, you know, I'm a doc. I work with other people who don't have their X waiver and maybe it's not my patient and someone wants my help writing that prescription. And the question they asked is, is that allowed? Like if it's not my patient, if I didn't see them in person, am I allowed to write that prescription to help the patient when they're not mine? Maybe. Yeah. Every system is slightly different. The um, general answer is yes, you are. You can write a cross covering prescription um, in California right now. It's limited to a month. If I'm cross covering your panel and um, you're, in, you're on maternity leave, I can fill for one fill, but not a bunch of refills. What's gorgeous about buprenorphine to remember is it's the only opioid that you can write a refill for because it's a class three DEA level medication, which means significantly safer than everything else. So whereas you have your Norco scripts coming in month by month by month and it's annoying as a provider, um, if you have your prescriptions for buprenorphine, you can write the refills for. Now, I am speaking as a very like expert, confident, fluent level person in buprenorphine. I used to be very like careful with my scripts and writing like overly restrictive prescriptions like five days, then I wanna see you, then I wanna see you again, then I wanna see you again, and a lot of barriers to access. Once COVID hit, I started writing for a full month right out the door with refills right out the door because I did not want this person walking around a million times, coming in a million times just to get something we already know they need. So I offer to you that we do not need to be as restrictive as we are with other kinds of opioids. This is a safe and effective life-saving treatment. And the best thing you can do is make sure people have access to it. Yeah. And literally, I I want to tell the story is uh, I had a patient... I'll, I'll call him John, who's like 25 years old. I do not remember the kid. He came into me six months after I wrote the first prescription with all the refills. And I'm always like, what happened to that guy, right? Um, but he's like, oh my God, doc, you saved my life. And I'm literally being like, I don't remember who this person is. <laughs> and I look up and it was like one of these guys that was experiencing homelessness and I had written a really long prescription for, and he like on the refill, 
the cures, which is our uh, prescribing in the pharmacy. Like he picked it up religiously. He was on it. And he was telling me six months later, got a job back with my family, got my car for the first time. He was so proud of himself. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited to see you. And if you think of that, like I probably spent three minutes with him like six months ago to have his whole life trajectory change. And he was coming in again. And, and that's just gorgeous. Nothing like that ever happens in medicine. Yeah. That That gave me goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of other things um, I'll throw out there for me as an emergency doctor, I used to be a lot more careful about it too. Legally, thanks to COVID. So a couple of good things COVID did for us. It allowed uh, providers to do uh, telehealth phone and or video visits with patients to start buprenorphine. So if you're in a system or you're not quite the level of Dr. Rebecca over here, you're not comfortable doing it, you would talk to the patient on the phone. I've done that before where somebody calls me for help. They don't have an X waiver. I'm going to write it electronically for them. I'll say, hey, can you test the patient on the phone for me? And I just confirm like, hey, you know, do you feel comfortable doing this? You ever tried it before? You in withdrawal? Do you know what that feels like? I do some confirmation with them. Then I drop a little note on their chart that I chatted with them. I don't go billing for that, but I feel safe, right? That I talked to them. I established even a brief relationship. That's another way that you can do it. And if you work in an emergency department setting, I do a drive-by. Like if, now all my doctors have their X-waiver, but before they did, they'd be like, hey, I want to send this person home with an X-waiver. I'd walk by the door and be like, what's up? I'm Dr. Gonzalez. I'm going to write your prescription. I'm so excited for you to start buprenorphine. Do you have any questions? And then I like go for the prescription. And so I think a part of it is going to be your level of comfort and how you interpret um, those regulations, how your system and your hospital interprets them. But right now, telehealth visits are allowed. You do not have to go see a person in person to be able to write across cover an assisting prescription for one of your colleagues. So it's done all over the place. But uh, like Dr. Uh, Trotsky said, it's a little bit comfort-based. So really quick recap to make sure we didn't lose those details on the prescription. You got to put what the medicine is and how long, right? I think most of us are writing something simpler than what it is. So the the self-start protocol that we have, you're going to give a copy of that to your patient. But just to keep it quick and easy, a lot of people will say, you know, 16 milligrams twice a day for 14 days um, and not, you know, take one and then an hour later, take one and then an hour later, do this. Um, sometimes we just pick something pretty generic. So 16 milligrams twice a day, 14 days, either the sublingual tablets or the, the buckle film, whichever one, they're both covered in that carve out. So you put that on there, you write the ICD-10 code. Again, that's F11.2. You can use that one, F11.2. And you need to have your X waiver number on there. Um, So if you're having an electronic prescribing in your system now, there should be a box for you to be able to write that to the pharmacy. And it really helps to have a direct callback number. If you are looking for the details of what does that self-start look like, I encourage you to head to our resources page and take a look at it um, so that that way you feel more comfortable. And then any other questions that come up, you always have us, the California Bridge team, available um, to answer those questions. You can email us info at cabridge.org. And we're happy to give you that information as well. Um, in the our last, um, yeah. two minutes or one minute, I just want to say when somebody says, never going to take your medication, doc, you're the worst person ever. I still write prescription for buprenorphine because I know scientifically this is their life-saving thing. They might be going through a moment right now where they're a total no, they're like everything, you know, their grandma died, their dog got hit by a car. They are not going to do anything. You tell them, hey, boo, I'm putting buprenorphine in the pharmacy for you. You can pick it up anytime in the next six months and see how it works for you when you're in withdrawal. 
you um, don't necessarily maybe want to give like a whole full on refill thing, but you're welcome to. And then you can say, hey, when you need a refill, come back and, and talk to me. And, and that allows them to um, save face. Honestly, I've had a lot of people pick it up anyway and just start it that night. But they're telling you, no, you still know what the treatment for a chronic disease is. So you're providing it and then you let them um, manage when they want to start it and give them the resources to do that. Awesome. So I would say if I had to interpret your biggest take home point, it would be get it in everybody's hands. Do it. Don't be afraid of it. Get it in their hands. Maybe they'll be ready later. Maybe they're not ready. Maybe they are. Maybe they overdosed, got naloxone and ran out of your ED angry. Who cares? Send it anyway. Because one day when that person's ready, that medicine saves their life. Latoya, any, yeah, just do it. Latoya, (laughs) any last closing um, moments of wisdom or other insights you want people to take away from this? Yeah, so bup is safe. It's super easy. Um, they don't have to start in the ED. Self-starts are really great. Um, don't discriminate for fear of diversion and just do it. Don't be afraid. Just like Alicia said, don't be afraid to do self-starts. Um, you can save a person's life. Awesome. I really appreciate your ladies' time today. Again, everybody on the call, if you need us, info at cabridge.org. Send us an email. We're happy to provide that assistance to you and anything we didn't get to from the chat today. Head to our resources page to get that self-start guide and our brand new, um, newly minted, updated quick start guide, which uh, includes a little bit of specific information with fentanyl and higher doses and all that kind of stuff. So um, thank you all so much for being here. Huge thanks to Latoya and Rebecca for being here and sharing their wisdom with us. And we will see you all next time. Thanks so much. That's it for today. Hopefully you feel ready to talk your next patient through a buprenorphine self-start. And you have the confidence to know that it's safe and easy and it works. MAT literally saves lives. So we want to make sure that we have that prescription in the hand of any and every patient that wants treatment. You can find a great patient handout that walks through buprenorphine self-starts right on our website at cabridge.org. And if you like this learning format and you want more, great, we are not done and we have so much good stuff coming. For a full list of upcoming trainings, head to cabridge.org and click on training. Do you need technical assistance or have other questions we didn't answer? We are here for you. Connect with us through the CA Bridge website or email us info at cabridge.org. Thank you to Dr. Rebecca Trotsky and Latoya Mitchell for sharing their wisdom with us today. To Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer for this episode, and to all of you, thank you for being here and doing this work with us. We'll see you next time. California Bridge is a program of the Public Health Institute, which promotes health, well-being, and quality of life for people throughout California, across the nation, and around the world. Copyright California Department of Healthcare Services.